talking tonight about empowered for holiness. Empowered for holiness. I'm so thankful that I don't have to do it on my own. That we don't have to do this holy living on our own. But God has empowered us. God has given us the ability. Everything you need is in you. Everything, everything you'll ever need in God, in the kingdom of God, living for God, he has put in you by his spirit. And uh, if we can just get that concept, uh, that's, a powerful, that's a powerful way to just live, knowing that God has put in me everything. I just need to get in it. I just need to tap into that. Whatever it is, I just need to get into Christ, put on Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 23 and 24, the Apostle Paul wrote this through the unction of the Spirit. He said, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. So he gave that reassurance right there at the tail end of that. God will sanctify you wholly. Not H-O-L-Y, but W-H-O-L-L-Y, wholly. Your body, your soul, and your spirit. God has the ability to sanctify you completely and wholly. Uh, and faithful is he that called you, and he will do it. Uh, is there any perfectionists in here tonight? Any perfectionists? Anybody got, got a problem with perfectionism? Uh, I think um, most of all of us probably do in some way, shape, or form uh, battle that, that perfectionist mindset. And, and sometimes they'll use that um, as almost a, an out. Like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just a perfectionist. That's just how I am. Uh, and really, that can come from a, an apologetic tone, but that can also kind of come from maybe more a prideful tone. Well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a perfectionist. That's just, that's just how I am. Or, you know, I'm sorry, get out of my way. I'll do it. I'm a perfectionist. I'll, I'll make sure it's done right. So there's this mindset uh, it's kind of a psychological characteristic. Uh, it's more than just being uh, competitive or striving for excellence. Uh, perfectionism is the unrelenting feeling of never being quite good enough uh, or just overly scrutinizing every little detail, overly critical. And sadly, the effects of perfectionism, they don't improve uh, with age or maturity. Researcher Martin Smith showed that people who scored high in perfectionism categories, they become more prone to negative emotions like anger or anxiety or irritability as they grow older. And surprisingly, they become less conscientious of these things over time. So if you raise your hand, you just hold on yourself. I didn't mean to set you up like that. It just happened. So there could be many reasons why people feel um, like they have to be a perfectionist. 
You might have been overly criticized as a child. So you feel like you always have to hit this high water mark and, and just be perfect in every area. Or, or maybe you ne- didn't feel good enough. You never felt like, you know, you could measure up. So you always wanted to prove people wrong. So you have to be a perfectionist. There, there's, there's a million reasons why you could have that mindset and feel like you, you have to be a perfectionist or you just need to do it yourself because they're not going to get it right. They're not going to do it right, so I'll just take care of it. Just, just get out of my way kind of mentality. But interestingly enough, there is also scripture that can kind of challenge that thinking, challenge that mindset and make us feel as if we have to be uh, a performer if we misinterpret the word. Jesus said this, be therefore perfect even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. That's hard, to, that's hard to comprehend. That's hard to fathom. How can we be perfect as our perfect Father in heaven? Also, he says, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no wise or in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. How can my righteousness exceed these people who supposedly live to the letter of the law of God's word uh, and and live mistake-free because they make sure every single detail of their life is checked off according to God's word? So we can develop this um, mentality. Is the call to... Holiness, just a religious guise for perfectionism? Is the call to holiness just a, a box that we check and, and, we, and, and kind of a high watermark that we feel like we have to hit on a daily basis? Or is it the opposite of that? Perfectionism is what could be called uh, or this, this lifestyle of perfectionism could be patterned after your behavior or, or a subconscious goal, but it's linked to our natural man. Perfectionism is linked to your, your carnal mind, your human mind. Rather, holiness is linked to our new birth in Christ. We feel like we apply our human thinking of perfectional living to this new birth in Christ. And that's not what God had in mind when he called us to be holy. God didn't call us to apply our perfectionism to his holy living. We could never measure up. We could never do that. We don't have it within us. The apostle Paul went on record by saying, in me dwells no good thing. I, I have not the ability or the means to even scratch the surface of the holy living that God has called me to. Do you consider yourself a perfectionist? Do others? Is this, is this a negative trait? Is this something that you use as a positive trait? Is this something unhealthy in your life that you let cross over into your spiritual life? That's a dangerous place. That's a dangerous place when you let your perfectionism cross over into the spiritual because then that's when a self-righteous mindset can, can come into our hearts and into our minds. 
So let's, let's look at this. Let's talk about spiritual sanctification. There was a situation in the book of Acts, in the early church that took place. Uh, we'll call this the, the Gentile sanctification debate. In Acts chapter 15, there appears this pivotal moment in the early church. The Gentiles, if you don't know what Gentiles is, that would be pretty much all of us here. The non-Jews were granted full inclusion as members alongside Jewish believers because originally the Jews received the word of God first and they were born into the church, into the kingdom of God first. And then came non-Jews. Then came the Gentile people uh, into the church. They received the word of God. So it's easy to forget that if you, if you don't know the word, or maybe you don't know it well enough, there was already a debate that took place. That's why I called this 2.0. There was already a debate that took place probably 10 years earlier that regarded the Gentiles. When they first received the word of God, they first received salvation. The Jews had a hard time embracing them and, and allowing them into their fellowship. Uh, because for thousands of years, they were not to have any really strong dealings with the Gentile people. Uh, but God foresaw salvation being brought to all humanity before the foundation of the world. God had in his mind that he wanted everybody to be saved. So when this took place, the Jews weren't really privy to it. They, they weren't really on board with it. Um, so they had a hard time. Uh, adopting that that reality and that took place in Acts chapter 10 uh, when Cornelius was in his household was uh, born of water and of spirit at the preaching of Peter this is what had happened Peter was brought before the church to give an explanation and to defend his actions they wanted to know why he was in violation of the Mosaic law. But after he had given in his account and told them what had happened, they all held their peace. The Lord kind of just settled the matter. The debating ceased, and they glorified God. They gave God praise, and they said this, uh, then God has also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. And that was in Acts chapter 11, verse 18. So for all intents and purposes, uh, the matter appeared to be settled. It should have been just put to rest at that point. Uh, but the fact makes the actions of these visitors to Antioch so problematic because it appears that there had been a reversal on the matter already decided. It, it, was, it was a certain group of Jews that went down to the Antioch church and said, you need to be circumcised according to the law of Moses or you're not saved and you're not sanctified and you are not a part of the, the covenant promises of God. So they introduced this false doctrine into the church that, that threw the, everything back up into just an upheaval. Now, what was at stake here was the very nature of salvation. 
Uh, and, and if you read the book of Galatians written by the Apostle Paul, you can get a, a good understanding of what had happened. And Paul's, Paul was very, very adamant that if you embrace this doctrine, then you have given up your salvation, basically. He, he was saying that you, you are lost at that point because you are, you are leaving what God had intended for you and you're going after the way of the flesh. You're getting into this perfectionism mindset. You're, you're saying that my great, God's grace and my faith in his grace is not enough. I need to now apply my perfectionist mindset to my spiritual life. And I need to measure up that way. The apostle Paul said, if you do that, you are falling from grace. That's, that's, that's a scary thought. That's a dangerous place to be. No wonder the Bible says in Acts chapter 15, this was no small dissension or disputation. So this was a big deal uh, that, that had been brought back to the surface. So these Judean ambassadors to Antioch were acting without authority from the church. They, they were acting on their own um, validity. They, they were going in this alone. And they were led by a faction of Pharisees that were converted, that were now believers. So you can see how that muddied things up. Because if, if you read in the Gospels, you know the Pharisees were the big part of the problem in Jesus' ministry. They were the ones that were always after him. They were the ones that basically turned him over and had him arrested. And it, they had him killed. So when some of these were converted, some of them did convert to Christianity, but they still had an old way of thinking. They still had that old uh, law mentality. But Peter had to stand up. Peter had to declare again. Peter rose up to speak for the last time. This would be the last time we even hear from Peter in the book of Acts. And he said, first, it was God. God initiated this mission to convert the Gentiles. God initiated this mission to Cornelius. And he said, to proclaim the gospel by my mouth. Acts chapter 15 and verse 7. And, and interestingly enough, in the book of Acts, every time that that phrase is used, by the mouth of so-and-so, or by the mouth of so-and-so, it's regarded as scriptural authority. It's, it's regarded as thus saith the Lord type of authority. Every time it's written in the book of Acts when they would say David spoke by, you know, as God spoke by the mouth of David or God spoke by the mouth of this prophet, what they were saying is when they spoke, they, they were speaking on behalf of God. And Peter rose up and said that God chose me and by my mouth that the gospel should be made known to the Gentiles. So he was, he was emphatically presenting his case that this was, this was God's doing. This was on God's authority, that these Gentiles received salvation. Uh, and he proclaimed the gospel to Cornelius. And, and then the second point that Peter made, he said that the outpouring of the Spirit was the positive evidence of the Gentiles' saving faith, their saving belief. We know that they have saving faith because God poured out His Spirit on them the same way He did on us. So we know that God has 
purified their hearts or sanctified their hearts by faith. In 15 and 9, he says, And through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. So interestingly enough, he compared their salvation to those Gentiles who they were saying were not saved. He was saying, so we can be saved just like they're saved. So he put a little twist on that uh, just for those Jews. Uh, most pertinent to the present issue was the uh, unspoken concern about uncircumcised and non-observant Gentiles introducing unholy impurities into the community of believers. They were worried that these Gentiles, they're not clean. They're not clean like we're clean. They're not sanctified like we're sanctified. They're not holy because they don't check, 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 check these boxes, each one off in the law of Moses. They're introducing impurities into the church. And the apostle Peter had to set that straight, that God had purified their hearts even as he did ours. Peter emphasized that this concern was a non-issue. These believers had received the Spirit, which is the source and the guarantee of their sanctification. It, it is the Spirit of the Lord that sanctifies. It is the Spirit of the Lord that leads us into holy living. It is nothing in and of ourselves. It's nothing that we can do, although we, we do what is, we're led to do. We do what the Spirit of the Lord leads us into. And by obedience, we become that holy and sanctified individual. So the council's decision on this was very clear. James held a position of crucial authority. James was the Lord Jesus' half-brother. And he, he had great influence in the church. Uh, many scholars believe that he might have been the pastor of the, the Jerusalem church. But James was... If you read his writings in the, in the Word of God, he, he was strong in the Old Testament. He upheld a lot of that, those things, and he was very strong if you, if you really dig into what he wrote. So when he stood up to give his, his final say, it shocked the Pharisees. It probably shocked all them that were in attendance there. This is what he said. James wholeheartedly endorsed Peter's perspective on this salvation for the Gentiles. He said that Amos, God had spoken by Amos concerning this very thing, that God would raise up the tabernacle of David that was torn down and that the Gentiles would be partakers of this tabernacle. And the prophecy, he didn't say God was going to raise up the temple of Solomon because that law was done and over with. He said God promised to raise up the tabernacle of David. And if you know anything about David, David was part Moabite. David really couldn't even, wasn't allowed to even go into the temple. You had to be so many generations removed from any type of Gentile blood before you can even go into the, the tabernacle or the temple. But David made his own tabernacle. David made his own place of worship. And, and he was able to go there and connect with God and commune with God and hear from God. And it was a place of, of worship and praise. It wasn't like the old temple. And God promised to raise up the tabernacle of David. And this would be what the Gentiles would partake of. Nobody would be segregated. So the prophecy and vision that restored 
and that included those non-Israelites as part of the coming kingdom. This is what the, the apostle Peter said. He said that we should not add a yoke upon them uh, of the Torah or of the law. Don't add that upon these believers. It, it is unnecessary to trouble them. He said we, we will be putting uh, a yoke upon them that was too heavy for even our fathers to carry. He said they couldn't even carry the yoke or the weight of the law. He said, and who are we to apply that to the Gentiles? And they know nothing about this. We would trouble their faith. We would disturb their, their already healthy faith. The spirit was already active in their lives that would lead them and help them to achieve the same results that they were hoping the law would help them achieve. That's why the, the, the Lord spoke by the prophet Jeremiah that I will write my laws in their hearts. He said, I, I'm not going to expect them to uphold this. He said, I'll put it in their hearts. And the spirit will lead them into the same things that we try to perfect. And the final point is important. James suggested for Gentile converts that they, that they should not um, participate in idolatry. He said, just, he said, if you're going to tell them anything, tell them this. Don't, don't participate in idolatry. Don't participate in fornication. Don't participate in eating bloody meat. So just very like cultural sensitive things. Uh, he said, just make sure that they don't eat things that are strangled. So just, just do that. Those are very simplistic uh, concepts. We'll just put it that way. Very con uh, consistent with culture. Uh, make sure they're not involved with fornication. They don't need to be sleeping with everybody. That, that's, that's ungodly. So this wasn't a matter of them backtracking and fulfilling the law. This was a matter of making sure that they could fellowship with one another with a pure heart and pure motives and pure minds. So this was more of a, about being sensitive to the needs of other people around them. You can't, you can't have fellowship with people if, if you're constantly debating on what you're eating, where you're going, what you're doing, who you're hanging out with, who you're dating. You gotta be careful with all that because it, it messes up the fellowship of the spirit. That's what James was getting at. Make sure they stay away from these things. This, these things will pollute their hearts. And I, and I think in 2024, we can agree that those things will still pollute our hearts. Those things will still pollute our minds. Uh, so if it was good enough for them, it's good enough for us. But the Spirit of the Lord has to work in our lives. We have to allow the Spirit of God to work. Let's take a look at this video before we start talking too much about this particular topic. In a society culture and sometimes in our church environment, the idea of perfectionism or the standard of doing all the right things all the time is a glaring theme. When it comes to being holy, we must appear to be perfect, even if that means internally things are not quite right. Some, at times self-righteously, meet every goal and milestone and check every box, while others refuse to try simply because the task of being holy is too hard. Our relationship with God and being holy is not about perfection here on earth, it's about progress. 
The call to holiness is not a religious guise full of rules, regulations, and standards, but a call to relationship, the greatest and most fulfilling relationship. It's about being formed into the image of Jesus daily so that we can have a pure and open relationship with God. That relationship provides us with access to all that we need and power to be our best selves. It also allows others to see Him in us more clearly. Holiness is not about checking boxes or being perfect. It's about allowing the Lord to empower you to be who He's created you to be. I had a conversation with a friend not too long ago who asked me why I thought so many people were falling away or losing hope when it came to pleasing the Lord, because after all, that's what holiness is all about. I thought for a moment, but the answer came quickly when I remembered when I first fell in love with Jesus. Not one time did during my first few months of new life did anyone tell me that I needed to dress differently or quit this or that to look the part. They simply showed me how to love Jesus, they taught me how to pray, and the value of being in relationship with God. I realized my desire to be holy did not come from the desire to meet their expectations. It came from my desire to meet His. And that, my friends, is the goal. Do we overcomplicate this thing sometimes? It's not about being perfect. It's about making progress. It's not about having all of these rules. It's about having a relationship. We, we overcomplicate this. If we will get into a real, personal, intimate relationship with the Spirit of the Lord in our lives, He will naturally lead us into holy living. Jesus said, my sheep know me. They hear my voice, and I lead them in and out. We follow the leading of the Spirit of the Lord when we submit to His Spirit. It's when we start doing things our way and try to start living through our own means and our own abilities and our own power that we begin to get frustrated with holiness. And we begin to get uh, hostile toward the, the concept of holiness because we're too busy frustrating ourselves trying to do it our way rather than letting the Lord lead us systematically at his own pace and as a, at a pace that we can follow him. The Pharisee faction in Jerusalem, they wrongly understood the means of the believer's sanctification. They operated with that old law-based paradigm. Like, we have to measure up, or we will not make it. Ultimately, it led to a works-based view of salvation that asserted, I am saved because I have made myself holy rather than I am holy because I have been saved. And Paul likely reacted with the disdain that he did because Paul was a Pharisee. Paul understood where that got him. It got him to the point where he was ready to kill and arrest and, and do anything he could to Destroy that, men, that mentality, that movement. That's what that mindset will get you. It will get you attacking the things that God blessed, that God uh, loves. It's easy for us to unconsciously adopt a similar view. We may see our holiness as a basis of our salvation rather than recognizing that our salvation as the basis of our holiness we don't, we don't get saved because we're holy. We don't stay saved because we're holy. We get holy because we're saved. Yeah. 
And we stay holy because we stay saved as long as we're walking in obedience with the Lord. God gives us a new life in Christ. We're in our old life, maybe we had to measure up to something. But God gives us a new life. The Apostle Paul said, old things are passed away. All things are become new. This new life in Christ does not pertain to the old life you lived and the old person you were. The outpouring of the Spirit is that, that new life. It is that resurrection. It is that new birth. And this life bears no connection with the old. The Apostle Paul said this, Romans 6 in six and seven, he said that the body of sin has been destroyed in our baptism. Henceforth, we should not serve sin because we have been freed from its power. Romans 6 and 14, he said that sin shall not have dominion over us. We have power through the sanctifying spirit of God to resist sin and to overcome and defeat uh, the, those strongholds of sin in our lives. It is through the Spirit of the Lord. Paul challenged his Roman hearers. He said, neither yield your members as members or instruments of unrighteousness. Don't yield yourself over to it, but yield yourselves unto God as though that those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Sanctification is not our achievement for God. It's God's achievement in us. Our work in sanctification is simply yielding to the Spirit of God. It's that simple. I have told people this time and time again, after they've been baptized, after they've repented, after they've been filled with the Holy Ghost, I've looked people dead in their eyes that I know had addiction, that I know had sin and issues in their life and told them, those things are not your master anymore. Because of our human thinking, we think we can get born again and have to go back out and fight those old battles. We don't have to submit. We don't have to yield to those sinful inclinations anymore. If you were bound by nicotine and cigarettes or alcohol or meth, whatever it is, once you repent, once you're baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, those things do not have a hold on you anymore. Don't let the enemy lie to you and think you have to go out and fight some battle that is no longer yours to fight. Just submit to the Spirit of the Lord. His Spirit has the power to overcome all of those things. The power of the Spirit is why the Apostle Paul could make what seems to be an outrageous claim that God will sanctify you wholly. Your mind, your body, and your soul. God, we have a hard time wrapping our mind around that, but that's indeed what he does. When we receive the Spirit of God and we submit to the leading of the Spirit, he will sanctify every part of your life, every part of your mind and your body and your spirit. It is up to us whether or not we're going to just submit to what he is calling us to in the life he's calling us to lead. We don't have to do it in our own power. The Apostle Paul emphasized that the call to sanctification impacts all of these areas. He said, 
Holiness encompasses our attitudes and our outward actions, as well as our behavior towards believers and non-believers. Holiness starts with just our general character, how we conduct ourselves, how we treat other people, how we treat believers and non-believers. Furthermore, his prescribed level of conduct would be humanly impossible. Tell me this, who here can in their own strength be patient toward all men? Who here in their, of their own strength can ever follow that which is good? Or pray without ceasing? Or abstain from all appearance of evil? The appearance of evil. We cannot in and of ourselves do those things, but by submitting to the Spirit of the Lord, God gives us grace and the ability to absolutely follow the principles in His Word. Paul's ultimate point was not that the Spirit, uh, or was that the Spirit is the source. It's not of us. It's not of our righteousness. It's not of our abilities. So don't pat yourself on the back when you, when you get it right. Give God praise because he's leading you into a holy life. Follow the Spirit's lead. Before believers can ever commit to walking in holiness, as Scripture defines it, they must first commit to walking in the Spirit. If we will walk in the Spirit, why did I not know this sooner? Why did somebody not tell me this earlier? If I would just walk in the Spirit. The Apostle Paul said, if you will just walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It is that complicated and that simple. Walk in the Spirit. Here's, here's our problem. Oh, I'm going I'm to say something that might hurt your feelings, but I'm saying it in love. Here's our problem. We don't want to give the effort to walking in the Spirit. We just want to walk into church. We just want to walk into service. We just want to walk in the, the, the look. But if we would walk in the Spirit, you're not going to struggle with the same things you used to struggle with. You're not going to deal with the same uh, problems and the same reoccurring issues that, that keep coming back up into your life. Walk in the Spirit. And God will lead you through all of the things that have been hang-ups in your life over the years. An unhealthy pursuit of self-righteousness could produce the same mess that they had in Acts chapter 15. We must not fail to recognize the work of the Spirit in our brothers' and sisters' lives just because they don't follow the same set of rules that we follow. This is what their problem was. The Gentiles aren't doing it the way we're doing it, so they're not saved. They're not sanctified. They're not righteous. It's easy to fall into that mentality we must never look at a, a believer, a spirit-filled, Jesus-name-baptized believer and say they're not right because they're not living like I'm living. That's a perfectionist mentality. That's saying, get out of my way. I'll show you how to do it because you're not doing it right. It's easy to find somebody that isn't living up to us or our standard. But why don't we just let God lead 
his people the way he wants to lead. Don't, don't judge your brother and sister in meat or drink or respect of holy day is what the apostle Paul said. Let's just let God do the leading. And obviously we know that God instills and institutes leadership in our life, a pastor in our life that helps us in those principles. Now I would never negate that. But we have, as individuals, we have a responsibility to follow the leading of the Holy Ghost in our life. Because that, that, in, that Aaron lies another problem. Rather than walking in the Spirit, you just want your pastor to make you all these rules to live by. That's not going to cut it. That's going to frustrate you. That's going to frustrate you with him and with God. But if you'll get in the Spirit, he won't have to set the rules for you. You'll follow the Holy Ghost, and he'll just be able to help guide you along the way, and it'll make everybody's life easier, yours and his. We must be careful that we do not intent, attempt to impose uniformity, rather live in unity with those that are in God's house. If we try to impose uniformity, then we, then we run into issues. But if we just love one another, we show grace to one another, we show compassion to one another, and we just love the Lord, there's unity and there's growth and there's progress and there's relationship. All of those things that we need to be holy. So it's easy to feel that God's love can be directly attached to how we behave. That's that carnal mindset. That's that, that's that perfectionist mindset. That's that human thinking, that flawed mentality because of some reason, some way we were raised. We feel like if we don't live up to a certain standard that God doesn't love us the same. That's a lie. God loved you before, he ever, before you were ever brought into the church. God loved you before you were ever filled with the Spirit. God loved you before you ever repented. While we were in sin, the Bible says, Christ died for the ungodly. You can never do enough for God to love you more than what he loves you right now. And you can never do less that will cause God to love you any less than he loves you right now. We're so worried about living up to this expectation of being blameless that we forget. Christ died for the ungodly, and faithful is he that called you and will do it. God will do it in your life because he's faithful if you will let him. So perfectionism is understood as our work, whereas holiness is always and ever God's work on our behalf. Perfection places the focus squarely on us. Holiness fixes our eyes on God. What can I do to please you, Lord? If we doubt the innate goodness of God's character or his desire to bless and help us, we fall into the pursuit of perfection in an attempt to convince God to like us or love us more than he already does. Just love him and follow him and let him lead you. The second major difference that perfection emphasizes actions, but holiness emphasizes character. How is your character? How is your heart? That's, that's what God is more concerned about. God is more concerned about how you're living and who you are rather than what you're displaying to everybody else around you. It's about manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5. 
I would encourage somebody today to just go home and read Galatians. Go home and read Galatians. Find out why the Apostle Paul was so adamant about fighting this false doctrine. And then you can read about all the, the things of the flesh. And then you can read about all of the, the fruit of the Spirit and how easy it is to just walk in the Spirit and we can fulfill the fruit of the Spirit. We can let God, His character, grow in us. So think about this. God is more interested in who we become than in what we do. God wants your heart. God wants his character to be formed in you. And I, and I refer back to Galatians again. And these, none of this is in my notes. But the apostle Paul said, I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. He wants, he wants to be formed in us. He wants to manifest himself through us by the fruit of the Spirit. Stop putting the burden all on yourself to live up to a certain level of conduct, but walk in the Spirit. And as I close, you can stand with me. In a very real sense, holiness is simply the word for what happens in us as we grow closer to God. Holiness is a natural byproduct of relationship. If you will walk with God, if, if, if you leave this place and you remember nothing else of what I talked about tonight, remember this, if you will pursue an intimate and, and sincere relationship with God, holiness will be a natural byproduct you won't have to look at somebody else and say, well, I'm not that. I can't be that. I can never do that. God's not comparing you to that. God's not expecting you to live up to the level of the conduct of somebody who's been walking with him all their life. And you've been walking with them for six months. But you can be just as holy because you're pursuing relationship with God and letting him lead you at the pace that he desires. Pursue God. Pursue relationship. Pursue love. Replace try with rely. I'm going to rely on him. I'm going to lean on him. I'm going to trust in him. Replace with do the right thing with walking in the spirit. Drawing closer to God moves us away from the world and its influences. Temptations naturally will lose their grip. Wrong attitudes can be identified and rejected because we're walking in a, a holy frame of mind. You will naturally feel a check in your spirit when something's not for you, when something's not right. You will, and if you're submitted to God, you'll feel it. You know what? I don't want to watch that. I don't feel good about that. You know what? I'm going to turn that off. I don't, I don't need to listen to that. I don't feel right about that. That's, that's, that's causing some conflict in my heart that I don't, I don't think is right. Walk with the Lord. Pursue relationship. Why don't you let the Lord challenge you this year? God, lead me into a deeper relationship with you. How can I, how can I grow? 
How can I grow going into a new year? How can I be a little more like you? How can I have your character to show your fruit in my life? Why don't we just close our eyes, lift our hands, lift our voices to the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for the challenge that I feel. God, I have felt in my spirit throughout this series, God.